Amen. Folks, if you have a Bible, we're in Jeremiah 1. I know I've called this a study in the whole book of Jeremiah, but we might not ever get through chapter 1, and that's okay. Maybe this will just be a Bible study in chapter 1. I promise you, we are not going to go this slow forever. But, uh, you know, sometimes the, the books are laid out in such a way that there's a lot up front. Uh, Jeremiah is one of those books that if you can just kind of, you know, gaze through the pages, there's a lot throughout the whole book, right? Our goal was not to go through all 52 chapters. We said that a couple of weeks ago. Our goal was to get through at least the first 33 or so. Uh, again, we're not going to go chapter by chapter because there'll be some chapters that we'll just summarize. So, And you all are here, so I don't have to uh, be timid about you love the Bible, you love God's Word, you know that every verse, every page has something amazing to say to us. But I do want to say, hey, we are going to get to the whole book, uh, but we are slowly working our way through uh, Jeremiah. Now, we spent uh, one lesson, one week, just talking about the overview of the book. We spent last time, two weeks ago, talking about um, the first 10 verses. So tonight we're going to just look at two verses that kind of bridge the gap between the introduction and the rest of the book. Uh, and the verses that we're going to read tonight are really going to help us understand the way that God speaks to Jeremiah going forward. Because what we read in the latter half of chapter 1 is really repeated, not in substance, but in format, the style that God reveals to Jeremiah and the way that Jeremiah responds and how he delivers that message to us is really repeated throughout the first 20 or so chapters. So it's important that we kind of understand what is going on uh, early. So we're in week three of our study in Jeremiah, and tonight we're going to button up a few loose ends that we left uh, off with in our last conversation, and then we're going to look at two very important verses in chapter one that help build the foundation for this book, and not just the book of Jeremiah, but the Bible. Uh, I really believe uh, that, uh, I say this a lot, but I think it's worth saying every time, I really believe that what we're going to talk about tonight is going to help us, it's going to change the way we read the Bible. Uh, and that might be not for the worst, not saying you've been reading it wrong, I just think we can read it a little bit better. And that's always, there's always room for improvement, right? So I think tonight can really help us change the way maybe you've been reading the Bible this way. This just confirms and helps you maybe kind of uh, wrap your arms around the way you've been reading it and how you can explain that to somebody else or help you explain that to somebody else. So uh, we've been introduced to both the book and the man, Jeremiah, Jeremiah the writer, but also Jeremiah the, 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 the whole book as, 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 as a whole. Um, to understand both, we have to have a firm grasp on the concept of covenant. The Bible, this study is called Covenant because this is a book about God's covenant with Israel, his relationship with his, with his people and his promises to his people. And that's why we've called this book and this study Covenant. Now, what is important for us to know in advance, and of course, Israel often lost sight of this, uh, about how he wants to relate to people. And this is really his critique with Israel uh, in writing this book. God doesn't want flimsy, casual relationships. The, God is writing to Israel, and at times in Jeremiah, he comes across a little bit rough and a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit, of, you know, come uncomfortable to, to the people because they have taken the relationship that God wanted to have with them, and they've really interpreted it in a flimsy, casual way, and they haven't been committed to him as he has been committed to them. God wants covenantal or relational, um, promise-based, I'm committed to you kind of relationships. God is love, right? And he does everything with passion into the fullest. He doesn't do things halfway. And, and, and not to insult anybody, but we often do things halfway. And even our fullest is still not as full as the way God operates because we're always operating a little bit 
under power because of our sin. But God does everything with passion and to the fullest. He forms relationships, uh, and at the top of his agenda, that's what he wants. He wants relationships with people. In Genesis 1, the entire setup is to have a relationship with people, Adam and Eve, the first, but also the first of many that he wanted a relationship with, that sin put a stop to, but God worked around, didn't he? Uh, God wants a relationship. He is driven by a want for relationships because he is driven by love. We know the Bible tells us he is love. And what does love do? Love gives, right? Love pours out. Love looks for ways to empty itself for the benefit of someone else. That's what love does. And, and we understand what it's like to be in love, or we understand what it's like to love somebody, but we aren't love embodied, right? We, we know how to love. We've been taught how to love by God, but we aren't love. God is love, and God is always looking for ways to pour himself out, to empty himself if you ever read the Bible and think, I don't understand how God does what He does or did what He did. I don't have it in me to do that. Of course you don't, because we are not love like God is, but we learn to love by how God loves. God emptied Himself for the benefit of somebody else, for the benefit of you and me. We learn about God's commitment to Israel in Jeremiah, even though they were no longer committed to Him. Jeremiah is all about God making a brutal decision. And this is what makes Jeremiah a, a, a sort of tough love. God makes a brutal decision to turn Israel loose from their current covenant with him in order and, in, and so that he can make a better one with them in the future. He cuts them off in Jeremiah, not because he's done with them, but because he knows a better covenant is necessary to bring them closer to him, and not just with them, but he's going to make a covenant with the whole world, a new covenant all across and throughout Jeremiah. We will come back to this notion of God's covenantal relationship with Israel. And we'll see it up close and personal in his relationship and interaction with Jeremiah. Now, last time we looked at chapter 1, 1 through 10, and we jumped off of this broader theme about God's plan to forge a better covenant, and we focused on his promise or his calling over Jeremiah and his purpose for Jeremiah. So he's got big plans for the nation. He's got big plans for the world. He's got big plans for humanity. But he realizes this in us individually through our purpose. We all have a purpose in this life. The way he calls Jeremiah is a picture of how he calls you and how he calls me and how his relationship with us paves a way for us to obtain our true purpose. We define what it means to have and find a true purpose, how it's not from this world, but it's from God. The world tells us purpose is found through achieving or accomplishing something or accomplishing what it says is more important. But God says purpose is found through His anointing, through His appointing us for His kingdom. Purpose is found within, not somewhere out there, through obtaining or possessing. Purpose is found through God's anointing and God appointing us. We don't look for it in the world. We look for it through God's gift to our hearts. Purpose is found in trusting in the God who's fearfully and wonderfully made every one of us, and it's found by honoring Him in a unique and personal way. 
What's perhaps even more inspiring about this opening chapter, Jeremiah's world and Jeremiah's generation, they weren't much different than ours. And I know there's a lot of ways the world's different and the world has changed for the worse, but Jeremiah's generation was already struggling with something that our generation is knee-deep in. They had bought into all the lies the enemy peddles to this day as he tries to distract us from our God-given purpose. He tries to dangle these things in front of us as being what gives us purpose and fulfillment. When God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah's first response was what? I can't do this. I'm too young. I've not been educated. I'm not trained. I'm not able, right? Jeremiah says, I can't because the world has informed me I've got some arbitrary restrictions and disqualifications. Even though God Almighty was standing over him saying, hey, Jeremiah, you're my man. You're my guy. I am appointing you and anointing you. Jeremiah says, no, 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 God, you don't understand. I don't meet the qualifications. And God could have said, of course you don't, but I can override those qualifications. But God didn't even brief him on that. God said, Jeremiah, I'm here to call you and anoint you and appoint you. I don't want to hear what the world tells you you can't do. I'm here to tell you what you can do. What we learn right out of the gate in Jeremiah's calling, to borrow a line from the New Testament, we don't need to call common what God has made clean. Remember Peter in the story in uh, Cornelius when Peter had the vision of eating the unclean animals and God said, no, 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 I've made those things clean. It was not about animals, it was about people, the, the moral of the story, because Peter didn't want to go down and see a Gentile, but God had made clean all of humanity through Jesus. It wasn't separated anymore like it had been under the old covenant. So in the same way, when God has called us His and God has made us His, we don't need to call common what God has made clean. And, 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 and sometimes we do this by disqualifying other people sometimes we do this by telling other people that they're not good enough but also we look in the mirror and we tell ourselves that we're not good enough don't we so whether we do it to someone or to ourselves we don't need to call common or ordinary what god has called extraordinary we should not dismiss or disqualify or discredit what god has purchased with the blood of jesus and equipped for his glory that's you and that's you, and that's me. Here's the thing. We will always fall short of somebody's standards. If you please me, you won't please somebody else. Isn't that how it works? Sometimes it's you please mama, but you don't please dad, right? That's how it works at home. Sometimes when things aren't, when everybody has different goals for you, you will never satisfy everybody's expectations. If you please him, you'll let her down. If you measure up to one, you'll fall short of two. It's like this. The world is full of self-appointed idols, some of which we have made. We can try to appease one, but we will never be able to appease all of them. Same thing works for our insecurities and our self-esteem. If you satisfy one, you'll let the other down. So here's what God tells Jeremiah. You're not beholden by their approval. You're held by mine. Jeremiah, I know they don't accept you, and I know they've already said that you're not good enough, you're not old enough, you're not able. I get that. I hear what they say. You're not beheld by their approval. You're held by mine. Don't be held back by their opinion. Be propelled forward by mine. We need to turn the put our blinders on, right? And look forward and not listen to everybody else's opinions or 
I, uh, you know, their way they see things, we need to listen to how God sees things and be emboldened by His approval and by His uh, ability that He gives us. See, the, really the basis for what God was dismantling in the Old Covenant and was going to establish in the New Covenant was this line of thought. The religion of Israel had moved God's intent aside, had built in its place a system of haves and have-nots. A system that only empowered a few, but didn't free them into God's will, rather enslaved them for the enemy's use. Isn't that what religion does? It says, well, hey, if you just do this, you'll be better. And if you just do this, you'll be even more than above them. It always cre- it creates a system of those who have and those who have not. But it never brings peace. It always makes us feel like we're not good enough. We've got to work a little bit more. God's intent of showing everyone a higher and better road was usurped by a narrow worldly agenda that muddled, muddied what God had made clean. The enemy had co-opted God's ideas and deceived people into thinking that to serve God was to serve the world. In the process, they'd exchange God's way for something far less. Of course, that's what the enemy tempts us with every day. That's why we must beware of stepping away from God to the altar of politics and popularity and prosperity or any personal agenda. Because those things only want to enslave us and slay us. They bait us with the opportunity to feel better and be better and make more, but they soon, sooner than later, they will lord over us with judgment and demand that we will never meet. Here's how Paul interprets and and compares and contrasts the Old Covenant with the New Covenant that God was setting up with Jeremiah. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you. That's what he says in in Colossians. I pulled that from 16 and 18. I'm going to show you a verse in the middle that he is telling us. These are a shadow of things to come. The substance belong to Christ. He's talking about all the worldly systems that try to say, if you do this, you'll be accepted, or if you do this, you'll be good enough, or if you do this, you'll measure up. He says those things are a shadow of the better actual substance that brings us fulfillment and brings us acceptance and brings us to God that is only in Christ. Listen to this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you, still, do you still submit to their regulations? Why are you still letting the world tell you what makes you accepted or what makes you approved or what should make you feel good or not? Why are you still listening to the world when you've been given the secret only found in Christ? He goes on in chapter 3 and says... If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's not standing there wavering. He is seated secure at the power of God. And if he's seated at the power of God, then that means it's forever settled in heaven whose we are and who we are. And and listen, I say I'm passionate about this because I am so tempted every single Sunday based on how I feel the service went, the enemy tempts me to step out of God and into my flesh and base my stance and status with God based on how I did or how somebody received me. Now, if it happens in a spiritual setting like this, I can guarantee it happens out there, right? We look in the mirror and we feel unwanted. We feel unaccepted. We feel, un, you know, uh, we feel like we've missed the mark in some way. At work, at home, wherever it is, But Paul says, lift up your eyes. 
3 and 4, he says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, He is your life. That means all that He has is yours. And who He is, you've been given that same status and that same standing by faith. Jeremiah is the beginning of the highway that would become Christianity. That is that we just read. Jeremiah hears the proto-version of Christianity in that it's all about resting in God's approval and choosing to follow God's way. I want to touch on verse 10 before we move on. Listen, listen how Jeremiah, God sets it up for Jeremiah. See, I have this day set, over you the, set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now that's a lot of tearing up and throwing down, isn't it? I mean, if, you're, if we're just going to do a weighing it out, we've got four tearing up and we've got two building up. And when I read four falling apart, that makes me a little bit discouraged, doesn't it? But here's what God is telling, telling Jeremiah. It may mean tearing down what you see for something better to get built up. And the world might spit you, chew you up and spit you out. But you're going to have to hold on to your faith if you're going to see what I've promised realized. It's going to require faith to trust that a grave can lead to a resurrection. Jeremiah, you're going to see everything that you love get buried. And of course, Jeremiah's going to die before he sees it raised up again. But Jeremiah had that kind of faith, or it was going to take that kind of faith for him to see God's promises realized. God told Jeremiah that he would have to erect a tombstone before he could see a kingdom built up. I know that's sort of an ominous foreshadowing for what would be ahead in Jeremiah, but as we've said, this, there is a promise of restoration and redemption at the end and at the future, in the future. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time paying close attention to how God begins to communicate to Jeremiah. The nature and pattern that we find in chapter, 13, chapter 1, verse number 11 is used over and over again across the next 20-plus chapters. So it's important that we get it now so we understand how it comes later. Also, what we've talked about, what we're going to talk about, will help us understand how God communicates through all the Old Testament prophets and even how He communicates to us to this day. That's why it's important for us tonight. I want you to look at verse 11, and don't mind the last part of the verse, but I want you to look at verse 11, and I want you to read it. And I want, to, I want you to ask yourself if something seems odd to you. I just want to let you read it for just a couple of seconds, and then we'll read it out loud. Start humming the Jeopardy music. Maybe that'll make everybody feel like something big's about to happen. Does anything jump off the page at you about the way that verse reads? Now, there is something that I have... I, this is something I've read a hundred times not just in Jeremiah, but in other prophetic books. And about six years ago, something jumped off the page at me that I thought to myself, that sounds off, or that sounds different, or that just doesn't sound like if I would have written that, I wouldn't have wrote that. And of course, I didn't. I'm glad I didn't write it. I wouldn't have been, had a chance to write it. But here's what, I'm, here's what we notice. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying... Now, that makes sense, right? Because what does the Word do? It speaks. What do you do to the Word? You read it. You hear it. 
the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, What do you see? I mean, shouldn't it say, What do you read? Or what do you hear? Is that tracking with y'all? The word of God came to Jeremiah saying, What do you see? Now, I don't know about y'all. I'm sure somebody else wants to know what's going on here. But this isn't the only place that we see this. And I'll explain what it is in case you're still not tracking. Amos chapter 1 verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw. The words that he saw. The words that he saw. Now, this isn't like he, you know, that, that, like something that was written on a scroll in the sky. But this is a vision, but it comes across as the word of Amos. Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah, Edom will be humbled, thus says the Lord. A vision, something that he saw, but it's given to us as the word. And we hear and we read words, but we don't normally see them. The next one. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth, which he saw. So again, things that we would imagine you hear, words, they saw. Now here's what I'm getting at. When God's word came to them, they didn't just hear it. They saw it and they felt it. That when God spoke to them, and I imagine he spoke to them just like I'm speaking to you, not that I'm in the place of God. But when you, when you speak to somebody, you're just hearing words. There's no visual aid, not that I can imagine, right? When you're reading a book, unless you're watching a movie at the same time, you're just reading words. You're just seeing or hearing words. But they saw these visions, and they felt them. I think there's something really, really good, really, really powerful here. We know that God's Word is called the Logos, which carries His essence in His presence, right? That God's Word is not just a little letter that, that He typed out and said, hey, here's, here you go. God's Word, the, the word Logos means it carries His essence in His presence. That God's Word has His nature in it and through it. God's Word is not just to be read or heard. It can be saw and felt. What we see with all the prophets, really, I think is telling us that there is an experiential element that comes along with hearing and reading God's Word. There is another, let's call it a third dimension to taking in God's Word. We know about reading it. And we know about hearing it, but maybe what we're missing and what could take our reception to a whole other level is that we can see it and we can feel it and we can experience it. As in God's revelation from heaven to earth, from page to person, that it can literally jump off the page. Now, you've all put on 3D glasses before, maybe at a theme park or maybe at a movie theater. I'm not a big fan of that. It doesn't really work well with glasses over top of glasses. Maybe that's why it wasn't a good experience for you. Uh, maybe you've got a 3D TV at home that was trendy for a while, and they came with those goofy, TV, those goofy goggles that you put on, and you put it on, you have a headache three hours later. We all have probably, maybe it's those, those cheap little red and blue lens 3D glasses that they used to give away uh, at, at different, different things. You know, get a little a color 
coloring book or a, a, an activity book and you put the glasses on and the, pe- the words jump off the page. You know what I'm saying? That there's some sort of depth to it that you don't get unless you put the glasses on. It has a lot to do with our posture and our attitude when we're receiving it, number one. When we read the Bible, we aren't just reading the news or a novel. We aren't just scrolling social media on the internet. When we handle the Bible, we are receiving and hearing the full voice of heaven. We are hearing and receiving heaven's voice. Now, we don't have to hope that we encounter this. Now, here's the good thing about being in our place in Christianity. There might be a lot of bad things about not getting to experience this firsthand. I'd love to have been there. But the good thing about being in the year 2020, we don't have to wake up hoping that we get to see and hear and and receive the word. We can just open God's word. We can open the Bible. That it's full, it's complete. It's it's been given in revelation in full. We don't have to wonder if we're going to hear this one day. We can just open the Bible and know that we've got it. When we approach God's Word with this kind of attitude, we know that God has something to say to us, yes, but even more, He has something to show us. The reason we can have this confidence is because God's Word is always being facilitated and amplified and put in motion by God's Spirit. We talked about this Sunday night, right? The Holy Spirit, is His purpose is to illuminate and to show God's Word, to take the words of Jesus and make them, give them life and to give them meaning and make them have a, have, have a reality in our lives. 2 Timothy 3 tells us this as we read the Bible. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It was breathed out when it was written originally, and it's breathed out when we read it to this day. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. As in, when we read the Bible, the Spirit of God moves from page to person, turning mere words into a message from God. Now, but maybe you're wondering, and somebody might hear this and think this is just a little bit fluff that I'm trying to work into existence. Maybe you're asking, what do you mean there's something to see? Here's the thing. We know that God's Word is full of promises, don't we? That the Bible is not just a story, it's a pathway. It's a pathway. The Word offers us light so that we can encounter, experience, and be empowered by God. The Bible is not just a story we read. It's a pathway that we can walk. What does David say in Psalms 119? The Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That when we hold up the Bible, it is illuminating a pathway for us. When we read it and we hear it and we see it, when we read the Word of God and God begins to make it visual for us he begins to give it that depth and that extra dimension we see a pathway to walk down to encounter experience and be empowered by him so when we read God's word when we hear God's word we know that it is doing one or two things God's word is either showing us something that God is going to do or something that we should or shouldn't do that's kind of the best way I can bottle, that, bottle together what God's Word does, what the purpose of when we read God's Word. It's either showing us something God's going to do in the future, something God did in the past, or something that He continues to do in the present, which I, all three can be uh, applied there. Something that God's going to do, or something that we should or shouldn't do. That's really what we get from reading any chapter of the Bible, regardless of what end you open up. So there's a visual element to this. There's an extension from page to practice, from page to pathway, from the words to the world we live in. 
So when I'm talking about seeing God's Word, that's what I mean. We're seeing it in motion. We're seeing what God's going to do. We're seeing what we can or shouldn't do. We are reading the Word and saying this is something that is achievable, something that's doable, something that God wants to realize in my life. I'm not just reading a story. I'm not just memorizing things that happened. I'm doing, I'm getting a pathway by which I can do it and I can experience it and I can encounter what God is saying. Now this is why, and this is the part, you can say I'm just trying to be a salesman all you want, but that's my job. This is my job. This is why nothing can take the place of being in church and hearing God's Word being preached and taught. Not because I am good at it, or people like me are good at it. Some people are. Not because I am or anybody's good at it. Preaching is so important. Teaching is so important because it helps bring the Word to life. I'm not saying that when everybody opens the Bible, you're always going to have this experience. Quite frankly, I don't always have this experience where the Bible just becomes three dimensions and I can see what God is doing and I see what He wants me to do. That's not something that happens to me naturally. That's not something that just happens to me and just clicks. And I don't expect that to happen for everybody or to anybody on a daily basis. But I do believe it's possible for us to pursue and to find if we are intent about seeking God. And what church helps us with and what preaching helps us with, God has called people into the office and role of preacher and teacher and gifted them with the ability to add this human element to the process. That's why He calls preachers and teachers and gifts them with the ability to communicate and proclaim God's Word and to give it that extra dimension, to give it that depth, to give it that tangible substance that I might or you might can say, hey, I I see what God is doing. I see what He wants me to do. I'm not just hearing it. I'm not just reading it. This is something that I can actually live out. Ephesians 4 tells us that God has raised up in the past apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints. So why did He give these gifts, these offices, to equip the saints? Who are the saints? You are the saints. We are the saints for the work of the ministry to build up, to build out the body of Christ. Read the book of Acts. When the Word is preached, things change in people's lives. That's what changes life to this day. The Word of God being taught and people responding to the Word of God. A preacher's job, a messenger's job is to help apply the colors and paint to the canvas of every heart. A preacher's job is to take what God has written down and to bring it into the third dimension, to bring it to that place of application to our hearts. And your opportunity in reading the Bible is more than just hearing it and reading it, but it's to see it. It's to reach into it and ascertain, to grab, to hold, and to handle what God is saying. Now, why is it important that the Word be understood in this experiential fashion? Look at verse 12. Listen to this promise from God. We'll talk about the almond branch and what that means in next week's message. Verse 12, the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. So Jeremiah didn't just hear it, and he didn't just read it. He saw it. He saw something that God 
could do, that God wanted to do, that God was going to give him the ability to do. And what is God's response? I have showed you something that I am ready to perform. So when you read the Bible, you're not just reading something to memorize or something to kind of pat your heart with and move on. You're reading something that God wants to take and apply to your heart and that God wants to say, hey, I'm ready to perform that. Are you ready to receive it like that? God wants to internalize His Word into your heart. He wants to give you something tangible to take to the world, to take to your life. Now, y'all know how Ephesians characterizes or portrays the Word. Ephesians 6, 17 says that the Word is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is like a sword. Now, you've all seen a two-edged sword. It's what Hebrew says the, the Word of God is. A two-edged sword. A two-edged sword, we know that you cannot hold it by the edges because it'll cut you. You hold it by the hilt. The hilt of the sword represents the basis of God's Word as His promise to us. We opened up this study with Jeremiah 29. I know the thoughts that I have toward you, thoughts to bless you, thoughts to prosper you, thoughts of peace, not of evil. Promises. God's promise is that He has our best in mind. He's offering us a pathway to salvation. When Peter figured out who Jesus was, he confessed this in John chapter 6. You have the words of eternal life. The basis of the Bible, summarizing the Bible, is to say it is the word of eternal life. It is a promise from God to us. We search the Scriptures knowing it is a promise. There, are, there is a promise to hold on to. So we hold that sword by the handle, by the hilt. That is the promise of God that is found on every page of the Bible. But we know the Bible teaches us truths and teaches us about sin. And that's what those two edges are. So the sword can be summarized. The Word of God has promises to claim and accept. And those two edges represent sin to confess and avoid and truth to commit to and apply. So when we take on God's Word, this isn't a sword, but I don't really have a, I have a toy sword probably, but I'm too embarrassed to bring it. <laughs> when we hold on to the sword, we hold it by its handle, and we say God has promised us so many great things, and from those promises comes sins to confess, sins to avoid, truth to commit, truth to apply, in verse number 12, God says to us, I'm watching over my word to perform it. So, what word does God want to perform in and through you? Maybe you don't have an answer. But here's what I want you to do. Start reading the Bible with the 3D glasses on. Don't just read it to kind of check a box. Don't just read it because it's that time of day. Don't just read it to memorize something. If you memorize something, apply it, internalize it. Because God wants to perform that verse or that reality in and through you. What word, and if you don't have an answer to this, there's a whole lot right at your fingertips. So let's go to God every day and say, God, I'm open to your word and here's my, here's my prayer. Show me a word that you want to perform in and through me. And to make it more applicable, to make it more specific. What promise 
does He want to realize in you? If you don't know, there are so many promises in this Word. Open it, read it, learn them, but more than that, pray that God would realize those in you. So ask yourself this question every time you read the Bible. What promise does God want to realize in me? What sin does He want to rescue you from? Again, read the Bible. These are the verses you want to skip over. Don't skip over them. If there's a sin that God convicts you of, He wants to rescue you from it. And His Word shows you the way, shows you how He can. What truth does He want to reveal to you? There is so much truth in this book that God wants to reveal to you. He wants to apply it to your heart. So we should open God's Word every day with these questions as our guide. What Word does God want to realize in my life? What does He want to perform in my life? What promise, what sin, what truth? What promise, what sin, what truth? Every single day you'll find something new. Listen, there's far more promises and there's far more truth than there is sin to convict you of. There's plenty of sin in our life, but I'm telling you, keep coming back for more. There's promises and there's truth that you will never run out of and you'll never grow tired of. We should come to church with these questions as our guide. We hear God's Word. We know that we can see it and we can feel it because He wants to take us to this third, threefold dimension where His Word is alive in our hearts and changing our lives. So I beg you and I just plead to everyone tonight, don't miss this hidden dimension of God's Word. Experience the Bible in this third dimension. You've heard it and you've read it. But have you seen it? Have you felt it? Have you experienced it? As in you open it and you reach into it. This is why I have committed to never just phoning in a service. I never just read and I never just parrot the Bible. Not that some preachers do. Not that some churches do. But this is why every time I open God's Word, I am not satisfied with just relaying to you something that I've read. As a pastor, as someone who I believe has been gifted by God, not because that makes me great, but because that makes me accountable, every pastor that has been given this office has been gifted by God and has been held responsible by God to stand before his congregation with an ambition and desire to preach and proclaim and portray God's word as life-changing, spirit-empowering. And that's why, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that I am very aware of how sacred it is to handle God's Word, that we cannot handle it deceitfully, but we hold God's Word up as the light of Jesus that shines into darkness, giving knowledge and glory to every single hearer. That's what motivates me, and that what, that's what I hope can motivate all of you as you read God's Word every day. And you do more than just read it. You can feel it. And you can experience it. And don't just take me for, don't take my word for it. Open it up. Reach into it. And you'll find truth and you'll find sin. More importantly, you'll find promises to hold on to. And that God will reveal and realize in every one of us. Church, I hope this is encouraging to you tonight. I know it has encouraged me and it's changed me. And it makes me, honestly, it makes me so anxious and so eager to open the Bible every day. 
because I never, I've never opened it, not one day, and been disappointed with what God had to say. More importantly, not just what I could hear or I could, I could read, but God gives me the visual aid. He gives me that extra dimension, and it can change your life because it's changed mine. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. I don't, I can't do it justice. I can't do you justice, Father. But here tonight, we don't just hear it and we don't just read it, but we can see it. We can see what you're wanting to do in our lives. We can see what you're, what you're wanting to change about us and enhance about us. Father, as Jeremiah saw and felt and experienced your word, we still can to this day because the Holy Spirit takes us into that third dimension. He takes us into that next level. Father, I pray that you would use your word every single day in the lives of these that have come tonight and those that are listening tonight. That you would show them they cannot just, they can reach into it and they can experience it unlike they ever imagined. Father, show us Give us a depth of understanding. Give us that extra ability to understand what your word is trying to say to us, what your word is trying to show to us. The truth, the sin, but more importantly, the promises we can hold on to. Father, take us to that next level. Take us deeper. Open our eyes and open our hearts that we might would be enlarged towards you tonight. God bless everybody here tonight. Bless those that are watching and listening online. May we all rise up from here and know that you're, you are watching over your word with the intention of performing it. And may you perform it in our hearts in the days to come. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.